It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Dominic Fifield of The Guardian and Dave Kidd of The Sun. It's surreal, but pretty simple. Manager wants to substitute his goalkeeper. Goalkeeper isn't inclined to agree. Despite clarification about misunderstanding, chaos ensues. Mauricio Sarri is stripped of authority. Kepa has little professional credibility. Even by Chelsea's unique standards, this is a mess of their own making. Now, Dom, you know the club really well. What's next, apart from the little matter of Tottenham on Wednesday? I still think, ultimately, we're looking at the final days of Mauricio Sarri's brief tenure at Stamford Bridge. I mean, I described him as a dead man walking on Saturday morning going into the the weekend with the final. I still think he is. It may be there's a slight chance that he staggers on for the rest of the season, but I I suspect the die has been cast behind the scenes and that would be similar to Antonio Conte this time last year when when he was basically done after defeats to Bournemouth and Watford and and, and limped on towards the summer before the inevitable sacking. I still think there's a chance if they get humiliated by Spurs in midweek that he goes... Fulham away, sorry Dave, is mm. probably far more appealing first game for any interim to come into rather than Tottenham. The last, I mean, I've been covering Chelsea for 12 years and I'm, I'm sort of used to managerial changes that they happen all the time at that club. But even by their standards, the last few weeks have been remarkable. With transfer bans, with potential partial closure of their stadium, which will be determined this Thursday when, when UEFA announce on that, to the managerial position, to Roman Abramovich's distance from the club, um, to alleged racism directed at Raheem Sterling back in December. It's just been one thing after another. So when a tedious 119 minutes of football ends up with the, the world's most expensive goalkeeper refusing to come off, we probably shouldn't be that surprised anymore. <laughs> it's just the next chapter at a crazy football club. Yeah, low comedy, high drama. It's perfect for economists like yourself. Yeah, I mean, it would have been the most boring Super Sunday ever, wouldn't it, yesterday? It's, you know, Liverpool-Man United was a terrible game, as Klopp said in pretty blue language, apparently, to Solskjaer after that game. And then it's, it wasn't the worst game in the world, the League Cup final, but it was still nil-nil and not a huge amount had happened. 
uh, approaching the end of extra time. So yeah, it was manna from heaven for us. And, and as Dom said, it, the place is, is an absolute madhouse. My personal theory is that you blame the doctors because the doctors either run too fast, as Eva Carnero did, and then the whole, which set into motion the downfall <laughs> of Jose Mourinho. This time a doctor apparently ran too slowly. He didn't tell Maurizio Sarri for three full minutes that the guy didn't have cramp. That is the story from Chelsea, that it was all just a misunderstanding. Another medical misunderstanding was the same as perhaps the Eva Carnero one, which is now going to set. So I think what Chelsea needed is a doctor who doesn't run too fast and doesn't run too slowly, and then that may be solution <laughs> to their problems. When you get into a situation like this, try and give the, the listeners and the viewers some insight into the way a story like this unfolds in terms of doing what they've got entitled to do, which is protect their reputation, and you as a professional journalist and observer making your own mind up about the situation. Yeah. Well... I would, I would say, let's say, this is the first time I've ever seen this, a player refusing to come off, but uh, there was obviously mayhem from the 119th minute on in the game and you, you've you seen it all unfurling in front of you and it's pretty obvious there's there's a fracture there. Um, whether whether there was a misunderstanding or not, it doesn't matter. The, the reality is the player was to be substituted and he refused to come off and that is open to scent. You know, whether there's been a misunderstanding anywhere on, on the route doesn't really matter. So we then watch the penalty shootout happens, and obviously he has to save all five penalties. He dives over one. Oh, I mean, the, the Aguero one with the little Bruce Grobler wobble legs in the build up as well. I actually felt sorry for him then, but I'd felt more sorry for Maurizio Sarri throughout. I mean, bear in mind also at 120 minutes, as the. He's superstitious. He doesn't want to step onto the pitch. He, doesn't, he has this thing about not stepping onto the grass. So he's hanging back, but he wants to talk to Kepa. He wants, he looks as if he wants to remonstrate with him. He may have just been trying to find out what was going on. But Antonio Rudiger actually comes and holds him back from entering that sort of, I don't know, throng of players mm. on, on the touchline. Mm. So we've witnessed all this. We, we then go down to the post-match press conferences, having seen Kepa beaten and, and look cut a very lonely figure out on the pitch. Sari was after Pep Guardiola. Guardiola was done and dusted pretty quickly, I mean, which probably shows how Manchester City treat winning the, World, uh, the League Cup, to be honest. In and out of there, bigger fish to fry uh, in the coming weeks. Sari eventually comes in, and bear in mind that his English isn't perfect. It's good, it's far better than any of our Italians, but it was, it's not perfect. But he's obviously been given this line, misunderstanding line, which he's... He's trumped that. He's made sure he's, he's got that message across five or six times. He's mentioned it in the press conference before trying to move things on. And simultaneously, the club are putting Kepper up in the mix zone, which is happening next door to the press conference, and he's coming out with the same line. Now, the club's comms department, as you would expect, have gone in there and are firefighting. They're in firefighting mode. They, they want to... They're professional firefighters. Absolutely, they're used to it. Although they're maybe not in this particular circumstance. So they've got their message across. But if I'm perfectly honest, and I don't think I'm overly cynical as a journalist, I'm, we, all, we all have a degree of being cynical, but it just looked as a, a bit of a flowery argument, really, to be honest. And it was a great deflect, it deflected attention and the, the misunderstanding became... It did actually feature in some of the, some of the intros in, in, in the papers this morning, but the, the reality is, when you actually analyse the context of what this has happened and what has been happening at Chelsea for the last few weeks, this was 
after 119 of encouraging minutes where Sari has actually got a response from his players, this completely undermined him. It was a little bit interesting to me that Chelsea actually bothered to concoct that story. Uh, that showed a certain level of support for Sari because we, we, we knowing that Sari was pretty much on his last legs. Chelsea had actually played pretty well to hold Man City for two hours of football, having been beaten 6-0. Uh, the Etihad a couple of weeks earlier. He'd had a, he'd shown a bit more tactical flexibility than normal. He hadn't made exactly the same subs as he normally makes. He brought on the kids that the, that the Chelsea fans wanted to see. Hudson Odoi, Loftus Cheek, who almost sort of won the game with that turn and put Hazard through. So he'd had a decent day up until then. And there was just a feeling that 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 what happened was going to be the end. I thought I my gut feeling on watching it unfold, the incident unfold with Kepa was knowing he was on his last legs anyway that this was going to this humiliation was going to be the end of him. But the fact that Chelsea bothered to concoct the story, I think it may be probably trying to protect Kepa's reputation more so than Sarri's because Kepa's worth 71 million pounds and Sarri isn't. But it, it was still showed a certain support for Sarri at least in the short term that he's, he's going to probably limp on for another game or two. What does it say though Dave about the modern player not just Kepa mm. but also his teammates where was yeah. the, you know where was Aspilicueta as the captain yeah why weren't they being yeah. stronger towards him to say look he basically went across one of the great unwritten laws of the dressing room respect the boss yeah and it doesn't happen at Chelsea, even more so than most clubs. It, it, it no longer, there is no longer that respect. Whether we think of Jose Mourinho, and I think I'm on Paul Pogba's side of that argument, and, and, and I think he's been, been proved right in many ways, the way Mourinho was treated by Pogba and other players at United wasn't particularly massively professional either. It's not just a Chelsea problem. It is just the culture of modern football. And we, we, we hear a lot about a lack of leaders, and I think it becomes a bit of a meaningless cliche sometimes, but that was a glaring example of a lack of leaders. I mean, just to save yourself from utter embarrassment, toe-curling, excruciating embarrassment at the end of a cup final when you know you've probably got a penalty shootout to come, you would think that, you know, that a senior pro, be it as Piliqueta as the captain or Louise as the man who was closest and one of the most, most senior players in the team, the guy who was physically closest there to Kepa would have, would have done something and just dragged him and said, get off. Or, or alternatively run to the touchline and explain... Well, if there had been a misunderstanding, he might, yeah. but the, I don't, we I, believe I, there was I a actually, misunderstanding. I, I, I can I can believe that part of the, the story that initially there was a misunderstanding here because Kepa had gone down twice with cramp in the yeah. in the second period yeah. of extra time. And there would be a concern as a manager as to whether mm. especially if you're getting it in your calf and you're gonna have to spring from that mm. leg to make a save and that but once the manager has made clear and he did make very, very clear that he wants the player mm. replaced. And swelling in the background is all this I mean, Caballero has suddenly be he's become this, the, the greatest penalty saver of all time <laughs> overnight. When okay, he's had two very good penalty shootouts I can remember. The one in the League Cup final for City against Liverpool in 2016. He, he did well against Norwich in an FA Cup tie last season, I think, third round. And he, and he has this reputation that he's good with penalties. But but it may well have been that Azpilicueta, who is close to Kepa and David Luiz, preferred having the world's most expensive goalkeeper in goal for the subsequent penalty shootout. Maybe that's what they wanted, but they just, somebody just needs to go If you have any respect for the manager, you have to... got to go. If you have any respect for the manager, you have to... That told you everything yeah. about the, yeah. the culture within that dressing room. Yeah, absolutely, it? yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. not just with this manager, it's been with previous managers yeah, as well. Um, yeah. Sarri's not a particularly strong character in many ways. Um, he doesn't come across as any great personal authority. He's, he's only a thinker about the game. He's very dogged, uh, very stubborn in terms of the way he trains them. and. 
and I think they get it and get a bit bored with that. I was reading something on Sunday morning about how bored they are with training. Players are always bored with training, particularly if someone's training them well in a defensive way, particularly, you know, repetition, mm. repetition. Roy Hodgson was the great example. Having great success with various clubs just by boring his players into submission <laughs> until they got it, you know, as he's done at Palace. Yeah. So, I mean, there's always that tendency to, to moan about the manager. Oh, it's boring. Whenever, whenever the results are bad, you'd always get players, um, players and their agents moaning about usually that training's boring. Mm. If the dressing room culture is left unchecked, and we assume that Sarri isn't long for this world at Stamford Bridge, who would want the job? Well, I think when we analyse that, we have to appreciate where Chelsea's squad currently is in terms of their individual futures. You've got David Luiz out of contract this summer, Olivier Giroud out of contract this summer, Gary Cahill out of contract this summer, William Pedro, Hazard, Callum Hudson-Odoi all out of contract next summer, 2020. There is potentially there, potential for a large overhaul of that squad and, and to almost start again. And as you say, these are criticisms that we've had of this particular group of players really dating back... When was the evolution? Probably the end of the sort of Lampard-Terry era, talking 2014, 2015, that sort of of time. Mourinho's second reign. Yeah, yeah. And they they sort of tried to to change things steadily after that. I know know Terry was there until they they won the title under Conte, I think 2016 he left, or 2017 rather. They have sort of faded some of these guys out, but potentially it could be a new Chelsea. Now, you have to take into account the the FIFA transfer ban, let's say, at the moment. Which they're appealing. Which they're appealing. So that is likely to postpone any sort of embargo on the, the windows for probably up to 12 months from where, when it's supposed to kick in. So they probably will have the summer ahead and potentially the winter as well to instigate an overhaul of that squad. And it may be that they do a mixture of youth team graduates and a few stellar names. Now, if that's the case... Somebody like Frank Lampard and Jody Morris would probably still find that attractive to work at Chelsea. They'd have a, the club's outlook would have to change. It would have to sort of temper the expectations. And they've never done that before. Mm. All these managers are coming in and told they've got to win things. And still. it needs to be long term or at yeah. least medium term. Well, isn't it? yeah. Well, I mean, it's whatever that is. This overhaul though, because it seems like a rattleless ship. I mean, the, I agree. The, the owner's not there. Um, they need a Marina, director. Of Marina's there. Emanalo did a pretty decent job, actually, in many ways. Um, he didn't get much thanks for it, but he did, did a lot of good things there. Well, I suppose he, he's not being replaced. He hasn't been replaced, and I, I, I guess I wonder whether how Chelsea appeal the FIFA transfer ban. Whether, well, we'll see how that, that goes. But <laughs> Michael Emanalo was the director of football at the time, technically. Mm, yeah, yeah. But you're right that it is rudderless, and it needs yeah. it needs a successor. It needs a philosophy. It needs someone to go in there and say, right, we're going to do this, and we're going to look for the next two, three years. And they've not been a club that's done that traditionally. And Given that Bramwich isn't there anymore physically uh, and can't get a visa, you, you get the feeling that unless there's a takeover of the club, I'm not saying it's going to be Armageddon for Chelsea. Someone, someone is a very attractive proposition to buy Chelsea Football Club in many ways. So it almost needs new ownership, I think. It feels that to me. I don't see Abramovich coming again and building another successful team. But they need a new club, ground but... as well, though. 
I mean, I, I don't know. I, I've, always, I've always got, in my heart, I love old grounds generally anyway on Stamford Bridge. I think it can be slightly overblown. I think quite often stadium moods can lead to short and medium-term pain for clubs. And there's now the percentage of money from match day incomes is less as a percentage compared to, obviously, broadcast rights. But, but yeah, they, they, they probably could do... A new ground would probably, in an ideal world, be, be what they want, but... It's very difficult in that part of London. There's various different you know, Fulham and QPR. West London is not a great area to try and find, uh, you know, a, a spot for a new. Well, I think I think that, that, that their their very ambitious plans on a stadium will. I mean, the, the word from the club is that if in the post-Brexit environment they will reassess that development, and I can see it happening again. I don't. Mm. I don't get the. I don't get the impression that Abramovich is has lost interest. I think he's definitely sticking two fingers up to the British authorities and also possibly to London mm. at the moment because, you know, otherwise he wouldn't have thrown the toys out of the pram over over the stadium and, 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 and abandoned the original plan. Can you see him selling? Personally, not, not at the moment, no. I mean, I'm only, I can only go with what I'm told and I'm told that he's as enthusiastic as ever, albeit he's <laughs> absent. But you can never say never. In terms of the ground development, 1.2 billion or whatever it was for, mm. to actually get this done, he was always going to look at outside investment for that, maybe not through the traditional methods as well. So you can see him going to a, a Chinese businessman or Chinese business to try and fund a stadium redevelopment, but I don't get the impression that that means he's, he'd even be keen to dilute his his ownership of the club. I, I think he ultimately he wants it to be his still his entity, you know, his business. But you can never say never. I suppose one thing that we're missing in this is actually the team and the club that won the first trophy of the season, Manchester City. It's inevitable that we'll be talking about the reality or the, the possibility of a quadruple. Yeah, it comes around every year, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? City, a, a mythical sort of holy grail. The any more, any more realism about it this I year? I don't know, really. I mean, I, I doubt it. I mean, I, they've not played very well, have they? In the last couple of games, they didn't play very well against Chelsea. Didn't play very well against Schalke. Got away with it with a couple of very good goals from Sane and Sterling. You know, the wear and tear is going to show, even on a squad as strong as theirs. Fernandinho, I don't know the update is on his injury, but he, he had a little like he had a hamstring. Fernandinho is the one player they really struggled to replace. They lost a couple of games against Palace and Leicester over Christmas without Fernandinho. Um, they just don't really have a like-for-like replacement mm. for him. And Laporte, who's been a yeah. know, fantastic yeah, signing for Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And they've got probably a few more options in central defence, but it's certainly fraying a little bit. It's going to when you're playing twice a week. I mean, I've, I've heard the, you know many ex-pros will tell you, or current pros will tell you that playing regularly is what they actually want to do. And Liverpool, oh, before the Bayern Munich game, had too long a break almost and got cold, you know. I don't see City winning the quadruple. Guardiola doesn't see City winning the no. quadruple and he got very stroppy about it when he was asked about it before the final. You're just setting us up for a fall. It was the way he took it. He got quite annoyed about it. But, yeah, I mean, while it's on, people are going to mention the possibility. They've, they've, you know, they're going to be in the quarterfinals of a Champions League and I'm pretty sure the semi-finals of the FA Cup because they've got Swansea. And they're one point off the lead in the Premier League, having won the League Cup. So it's on, but I don't think it's going to happen. With City, uh, I thought the most appropriate moment yesterday was that Raheem Sterling scored the winning penalty. He's my player of the year. What about you? Oh, I wouldn't necessarily say player of the year, but he's been fantastic and sort of maintained the club form of last season, really. Um, probably a bit better, actually. Uh, it, was, it was, you're absolutely right, given, given events that... Stanford Bridge in December, 
it was appropriate and, and you know he grew up a stone's throw from the stadium as well didn't he so um, it was a fitting way to end it all I think he's been brilliant he's been he's matured a lot this season on and off the pitch by the look of things and he's obviously benefiting hugely from just being coached magnificently at, at the, on the training ground uh, and learning and improving all the time we, I think we saw it we've seen it in performances with England going back to Seville Seville in particular, oh. yeah, excellent. Yeah. He's, he's a good player. But, I mean, in terms of player of the year, I think I'm one of these people that likes to wait until April. Let's <laughs> yeah. see where he goes. He'd be a great contender, to be fair. Yeah, I don't know his name very much, and he certainly would be. And I can't remember what the actual spiel is in the FWA award, but it's not supposedly just about your player. That's the broader uh, picture, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I can't yeah. remember. There is a particular mm. sentence they use. And, and Sterling, in the way he reacted to the, um, in the statement, he, you know, it was quite damning of the newspaper industry in many ways, but I think he had a certain point in, in the statement he made the, the day or two after, the, the morning after the game at Chelsea when he, when he got the, the abuse, probably racial abuse. And uh, Sterling, you know, he has matured in terms of the end product is there. It was always, the talent was always obvious. Going back to the sort of Anfield spring when Liverpool almost won the title, he was a major part of that five years ago as a teenager, I think, still then. You know, you could set the talent, the talent, the pace, the, the ability on the ball was there, but the end product was always, even then, even in that very good season he had, wasn't quite there this year. This, these last couple of seasons, it's absolutely been there. Guardiola's brought him on leaps and bounds, and he looks a proper world-class footballer now. Mm. You mentioned Liverpool tangentially there, Dave. Compare and contrast them and City. Who's, who do you think are the title favourites? I think City see? are favourites now. I think Liverpool to have been favourites at this stage would have had to have won at United. They had a chance to win given that you know United's injuries before the game and during that first half. Um, he felt it, it was possibly there for the taking for Liverpool and and they and they just didn't look at it. I don't hold the opinion that Liverpool are in any way choking or bottling. I just don't think they've got as good a squad as Man City. It's a really crass um, thing to say, anyway. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's to, we're, not, we're not that close to the end of the season anyway. They only lost one game. Uh, so it's not a great capitulation, is it? I just think that they haven't got as good a squad as City. I think City, in particular in midfield, have got a lot more quality to unlock teams. I think that's probably why we've seen Liverpool draw quite a few games and City draw fewer games. And that's what it might come down to. Liverpool may only lose one or two games all season. And still, I'm still finished runners up, in my opinion. Yeah, three draws out of the last four. The front three doesn't seem to be really firing, does it? No, they seem to be firing as individuals in in, in games. I mean, Mane had that run of scoring matches recently, and then misfired against Bayern Munich. Maybe he's struggling, struggling yesterday as well. The Salah's there, and, and but he's obviously it's not. You're right; it's not quite clicking as a unit. It probably hasn't collectively all season. Although they have, that said, I think that three had contributed virtually all of their goals mm -hmm. this calendar year until Van Alden scored the other week against was it Bournemouth? They're not the same attacking force. No, they were last but they're not as vibrant. They're much better defensively. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to yeah. sacrifice some of that yeah. gung ho approach that was so brilliant to watch last season, but. You know, last season they they were losing games mm. um, because the defence wasn't watertight, and he's obviously reined that in a bit, and and maybe got the working a bit harder. It'd be interesting to see if Firmino's injured for a period. It'd be interesting to see how they cope with that. Mm. And I agree with Dave in that in that the I think City squad is better, but on the tight race, when City are not at it, they lose games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When Liverpool aren't at it, they draw them. 
I think you have to give them, make them favourites at present. Um, City have got, as particularly Fernandinho is out for any length of time. As Dave said, they are vulnerable in, in central midfield. That was the area that they were looking to bring in Jorginho back last summer. They, they don't have the cover there. I mean, Danilo played there yesterday mm, yeah, when he, when he yeah. came on. So You've got, I suppose, the question of depth, isn't it? If you look at that front three, if they're not firing, we ended up yesterday with uh, Shakiri, who's regressed in the last couple of months. You've got Origi and Sturridge, which basically is sort of Brendan Rodgers revisited, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, at that critical area in the pitch, are they strong enough in depth? Probably not, no. I think, I think they'll miss Firmino every bit, as, probably every bit as much as City might miss Fernandinho if he's gone. As I say, City have got the strength everywhere apart from that holding midfield where they just don't have that replacement for Fernandinho. And that's the, my one concern for City would be if he's out for a month. That would bother me for City. The mm. Liverpool can change their system. They don't have... We're not talking, they're not sorry. I mean, they, they do actually... <laughs> they will adapt. B, yeah. yeah, they'll have a plan B. I... I yeah, I mean, Firmino would be a massive loss because he's a sort of the player out there who sort of links it all together. But but there, there will be ways of getting around that. I think let's be careful on, on, mm. on writing them off. That that front three is still mouth-watering on, on, on paper and on, the, on their day as well. If they're given opportunities, they they can still run right. It's going to be a proper title race. I don't think Liverpool yeah. are going to suddenly capitulate and City are going to stroll it at all. I think it's going to go very, very close to the wire, if not to the wire. But if we look at it, a Merseyside derby at Goodison... They always win that, don't they? Yeah. It takes care of itself, let's win. say. Yeah. The one that intrigues me is Wednesday night at Anfield against Watford, yeah. who are really the best of the rest by a distance at the moment, aren't they? Them or Wolves, yeah. Um, certainly it's a tough game, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I'm not sure how much Watford have gone away to top teams. I could be wrong. I haven't looked into that in my, in my mind. I don't remember them going away and winning against top six clubs too much. If at all, but yeah, it's but a they, tough suit, game. They, 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 they have definitely gone another absolutely, level. Absolutely, yeah. They're, they're, what they've got now, Watford, is is they've got a solidity and a consistency which the club never had for years. Even while they were, when they were going up and they're going through managers left, right, and centre, they've now got a settled team, a settled manager, great philosophy. They work very hard. They're very well organised. They've got they've got good players. They've got goal scorers. I mean, Delafeu scoring a hat trick at Cardiff the other night was an exceptional effort. They've got a lot of good players and they've got quite a lot of good players. I saw their second team in the cup at Woking and thought, God, there's a lot of mm. international footballers there in Watford's reserves. You know, that's a strong squad now. It's a club, actually. You know, I've been critical of the model, but the model's working, isn't it? At first team level, yeah, mm. absolutely. I think it's they've assembled a, a really imposing squad. Um, they've got an excellent first team. Uh, they've got experience in the right areas. A lot of... They're, they're dynamic, they're aggressive... There's a lot going right there. And they've also got a, a veteran goalkeeper who's enjoying an, an Indian summer. He's having probably the yeah. best season Foster, of his yeah. career yeah. In, in, in Ben Foster. He's just been fantastic. And maybe this is the year that, that Watford don't fall away. I mean, they've got to the 40-point mark now. This is traditionally where they decide they're going to shut up shop and they end up with 45 points in 15th place. Well, this year... Maybe not. Maybe that this is where they push up into the. And they've got the cup as well, haven't they? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So. And they, yeah, they'll be relishing. If I was a Watford fan, I'd be wanting to prioritise the cup more than anything. I wouldn't mind if they slip back a bit and you know really go for the cup. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. What about Tottenham? You know, by common consent, they blew their title chance by losing Again. At, at Burnley. <laughs> um, a big week for them still. You know, they've got Chelsea, who probably they're making more progress than at the moment. Mm. Uh, and then obviously the North London derby. We shouldn't really get carried away by one poor result, should we? 
No, but I mean, they've lost seven games now. Um, you know, they've drawn none. Strange season in many ways. That, um, but it's Spurs, uh, extraordinary success story. Um, but you know, it almost feels like the Champions League's the priority now. Um, their their top four places virtually guaranteed, and I don't see them. I just don't see them suddenly finding the consistency to hunt down Liverpool and Manchester City. It's just not going to happen. City and Liverpool aren't going to are going to drop that many points. Spurs aren't going to win eleven games in a row. They're just not that sort of team. Too many off days, like we did the other day. But Champions League with three 0 advantage against Dortmund, you know that seems to me like the the priority now. Um, they'll still be dreaming of playing at their new stadium, their alleged new stadium in in, in the <laughs> later stages. Maybe they'll be playing, you know, a big European quarter final or semi final. Maybe next season at that ground. Who knows when, when it'll be ready. But I mean, what they've done in, in you know, in joking aside about you know, in, in you know, basically a homeless club, you know, in, in, in an environment where the fans don't like even being there, apart from those big European nights like Dortmund, there've been a few of those. Generally, the atmosphere there's pretty awful for most sort of standard league games, and they're still churning out results. And it's been ahead of achievement to finish third if that's where they are going to finish in that environment and with no you know we're talking about Chelsea having a transfer ban Spurs have a self-imposed <laughs> transfer ban for the last two windows anyway it hasn't done them much harm yeah Harry Kane back earlier than expected gets his goal does he need to be protected from himself for the rest of the year yeah possibly Just, I mean that's Harry Kane though isn't it he, just, he was always going to come back sooner than people had envisaged sooner than the medical department had envisaged I actually wonder whether there was a... Uh, look, he scored, he's got the equaliser and he had other chances in that game, but I did wonder whether he was slightly disrupted, the, the rhythm, trying to reincorporate him in that. I wonder whether it might have been mm. slightly... To go slightly more conservative, maybe had him on the bench and bring him on, given the, the, the games they've got this week as well. But, you know, Pochettino knows... There's a bit of an issue that Kane tends to to play when not 100% fit. A lot of the time, happening in the World Cup actually, you know, after the he won the Golden Boot, but after the first two or three games, he was out on his feet. Really, after the Colombia game, he was out on his feet, wasn't he? Mm. You just think that he's got an awful lot of miles in his legs, and I'd like to, you know, even if if even if you're from a Spurs point of view, I think they've shown they can do without him. Therefore, they should manage him. They should manage him better than they do. He's clearly a very persuasive mm-hmm. character. He's the captain of England and the best goal scorer we've had for years for Tottenham and for England. So there's always going to be this tendency to want to play him whenever he says he's ready to play, but I think maybe he needs holding back occasionally. Mm-hmm. Can I just, just to interject on Burnley on that match, what a, a revival they've enjoyed mm-hmm. this year. Uh, I mean, I know we, we thought they were underachieving before Christmas and some of the... Yeah. The defensive performances were so uncharacteristic from last yeah. season, but Tom Heaton's return and Chris Wood finding and, and Ashley Barnes actually finding some scoring form, just utterly re- revelatory and restorative yeah. uh, for them. And Sean Dyche, just, again, just doing an incredible Never job. thought that Burnley would go down. No. Now, either bad it got early. Well, that said... You don't finish seventh and, and with the same squad then go down. But, they, but they were. I saw them at the beginning of December... They played at Sellers Park and they were mm. unrecognisable mm. from last season. Yeah. They conceded 29 chances, didn't have a single shot in the entire game. They were a mess. Mm. And yet now, you wouldn't want to play them. And, and it was almost, it was not actually that much of a surprise that they gave Spurs that tougher game. Yeah. It does beg the question, Dave, should Sean Dyche be among the leading candidates for the Leicester job uh, vacated very quickly by uh, Claude Puel? I, I, I'm sort of trying to think if I'm, I'm a Leicester supporter now, do I want Sean Deitch? I'd probably honestly say no. 
That's not to... That's Is that perception to, or reality? Well, a bit of both because, I mean, they do play direct football and Leicester fans will be thinking, do I want to watch that every week is that how we're going to get to whatever the next level is it's where they got it's how they won the league pretty much relatively I mean it's different well it's slightly different to the way Deitch plays I would say but yeah yeah, I get get your point yeah yeah. Yeah. Um, well if you've got a a midfield of (laughs) Tielemans and Didi Mm. Madison you're probably not going to hump it are you no you're not they've Change the squads are going that direction. It's a much younger team. Yeah. It's a very old squad that, that won the league. Yeah. Uh, try to contextualise what happened in 2016. Like, <laughs> you, you, you just, you know, you throw me a curveball, really, because I don't know how you contextualise what happened. I, as, a, as a Fulham supporter, I'm trying to work out how on earth <laughs> the clown in charge of my club, uh, you know, <laughs> won the league with Leicester City. It's extraordinary. I mean, what happened in that season? It's impossible to contextualise. Uh, so I'm not going to try. <laughs> <laughs> Is Claro in the area? On thin ice, at your place. Yeah, well, who knows? I mean, the club's run in such an eccentric fashion by the owner's son that you, you really, who knows? Um, he should go. Um, it's been a mess, but um, he should certainly go before, you know, the summer. Because the last time they went down four years ago, Fulham, Felix Magath, who, who was far worse even than Randy, he Harry, was captain bonkers. Yeah, he, uh, was given the summer to completely destroy what was left of the squad, and then. Two years of absolute hell trying to avoid going down to the third division to League One. So, um, if they make that mistake again, it, you know, it really could be meltdown. So, they've got to get rid of him sooner or later. So does that mean that Scott Parker? I would imagine season? that Parker will be in charge at the end of the season. I would hope so. Uh, whether he takes it on full term, I, 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 I probably not. I mean, a lot of talk about Lee Johnson amongst Fulham supporters, who's apparently got Fulham connections and plays lovely football and he's doing brilliantly at Bristol City. And, may take them up and may not even be a candidate, but I mean, mm. but there's all sorts of possibilities. There. Talking of candidates in, in the context of Leicester, mm. most people are talking about Brendan Rodgers, which does have logic. Can he do any more at Celtic? Is that the sort of level of club that he needs to reintroduce himself to English football? Yeah, probably. He's probably not going to get a bigger club. And Leicester, for all that they've struggled of late, they probably are the best of the rest. As a club, I mean, and, and the squad in, is the strongest. Yeah, success, and that, that's, that's yeah. and it's underachieving. Yeah, isn't yeah it? it's, agree, it's yeah. been underperforming of yeah. late. They've got a lot of good, young, talented players coming through. They've got money to spend. They've got the setup there. They've got a great training ground, a great stadium. The only thing about them, which actually seems to almost undermine it all, is the fact that they won the title in 2016, <laughs> and the expectations are probably. Slightly too high. Um, I don't get the impression that Leicester fans actually think, oh, it's going to happen again, or we can get in the no, Champions League. But, I don't but, think but where so. do you They're go? Really realistic it? about it. Yeah. Puel is in a well, situation. You want a cup, where... wouldn't you? Really, yeah, that's realistically, yeah. And, and that's what that's what that's one of the things it did for yeah, Puel. Absolutely. The way he treated. And also, he's, he's a strange again, character, isn't he? I, I, I have to say, with Puel, is that at Southampton, he took them to a cup final, almost won it, yeah. uh, finished eighth, and then got sacked. So he must wonder what the. He's one of those guys who almost leaves no footprints where he is. Yeah, there's a. It's almost this. A character deficit as opposed to anything else. He won't need any hush money, will he? Because <laughs> <laughs> the weird thing with that, I, I went and interviewed him once in France when he was at Nice to talk about Wenger and, and I attended his... was sort of turned well, out, huh? no, but he was fine on one, one-to-one. <laughs> okay. and, but then he went and did the press conference afterwards and he speaks in that hush in French yeah, as well. Okay, it's yeah, not, it's that's not just a yeah. you know, shady English. It's, he, he genuinely just, that's how he talks. It's just a room of journalists, isn't it? Sort of craning their necks, yeah. desperately trying, literally desperately trying to hear trying what he's saying. Weeping quietly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we never have any problems with copy with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, do we? No. Are we now almost at the point 
where it is logical to assume is going to be. Yeah, I mean, I think it's almost inevitable now. I, I, I think Pochettino would be the ideal candidate. I don't. I think even if they absolutely were still hell bent on getting him, they probably wouldn't get him out of Spurs because Levy would dig his heels in. Even if Pochettino said, I want to go to Manchester United, I've given you five great years, please let me go. Even if you're not ever going to pay all the compensation in the world, I still think Levy would say no. Given all that, you know, we, we sometimes underestimate just the, the, the idea of joy in football. And he has brought joy to a club which has had misery for five years. You know, even when it's won a couple of trophies, everyone's been long-faced, the place has been miserable every time you go there. And ever, as soon as he walked in, I remember... The first press conference I did with Solskjaer was away at Newcastle about his third game they won. He was beaming. The press officer, who was usually long-faced, was sitting next to Mourinho, <laughs> desperately worrying what he might say next, was beaming. Everyone was beaming. I was asking him a question and he was, he was laughing and, and saying how much he loved being there and he loved the fans and they've been singing his name ever since his first, his first match at the club and they've never stopped singing it. And, you know, and, it, and I, I said to him on that night, you know, you're not going to want to leave this, are you? At that point, no one was really quite. It was, no one was really quite thinking he's going to get this job. And he said, "No, of course I'm not going to want to leave. I'm not going to want to walk away." And then, as, as games, as, as we started getting those serious wins away at Tottenham and Arsenal, it became apparent that you know he wasn't just a smiling face. He really did have, you know, a certain managerial nous. Uh, and he's got players on the side. I just have this slight concern that if things start to get, uh, the players will absolutely, absolutely want him there. If things start to go a little bit dodgy at the start of next season, could those players turn again? I don't think he's the strongest character in management. I do think that's this is why, in an ideal world, I would still prefer Pochettino if I was a United fan. But if he does get the job, he'll need, you know, we'll have carte blanche then to, to remodel that squad. If you judge by yesterday, Fred's got no chance at that club anymore. He couldn't get on if they if they needed fifteen players, let alone three. Sanchez, he's third choice as well to come on. Yeah, and and also it just doesn't for someone who used to exude love of playing the game. Yeah, he's just not interested. I think he looks. I think he looks knackered. I think it's finally caught up with him. All those, all those summers playing for Chile, you know, being the mainstay at Arsenal, then going to United and having to try and you know impose himself there just looks as if it's, it's caught up with him and he's players do sometimes fall off a cliff at about yeah. the age of 30 these days mm -hmm. the, the more intense football gets and I think that's sort of Wayne Rooney syndrome yeah absolutely also. Wayne Rooney yeah I'd say Sanchez yeah. would be in a similar similar build of man as well you know something about you know Ferguson always used to say Rooney wasn't a nat natural athlete and, and, and Sanchez possibly in the same but then that said he's I mean he, he presumably has to play on Wednesday night at Palace at Palace and He's, he has got the quality there. That goal against Arsenal in the cup. Yeah. It's a terrific goal, actually. So I turned it on there. Almost out of spite. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mentioning Palace, Roy Hodgson, you know, a lot made of you know, his uh, uh, venerable status you know, with the win at the weekend. I was really struck by the tone of respect in the comments mm. from the Palace players towards him. You know the club very well. You know, you know Roy from you know, Fulham days uh, and obviously England days. How, give me an assessment of how well he's done. You know what? Actually, over the first 15, 20 matches of Palace's season, I think people were starting to get a bit concerned that things were getting a bit stale and it was all getting a bit samey and that the faith in a select bunch of players 
was actually counting against him. I'm thinking in terms of, the, you know, people wanted to see more of Vicente Gaita in goal, people wanted to see more of Max Meyer. But Roy Hodgson, in the last few weeks, and particularly on Saturday night, just reminded the watching world that he knows best when it comes to football tactics and f selections. He, he gets it right more often than he gets it wrong. And that's what 43 years in the game probably does for you. But I know they're only six points off and with a very different, difficult game on Wednesday night, but let's look at that team now and the squad and the style of play and, most importantly, the calibre of the manager. And there's absolutely no way that Crystal Palace is getting relegated. And there are a lot of people in... November time, December time, we were looking at it thinking, oof, there's something not right there. Was, 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 obviously, this was, the, this was the game when he became officially the oldest manager within yeah. the Premier League, and it, it was just a vintage Hodgson performance, 30% yeah. possession, 35% possession. Out, they were outshot 27-7. Yeah. All the ruthless as palaces. Yeah, they yeah. win 4-1 away uh, from home, you know, having, having sat back in their defensive shape that he'll have worked on every single day since he's been at that club yeah. for 18 months day in, day out, drilling it into them and they soak it up and then they win 4-1 away at Leicester and it was a classic Hodgson performance actually. I think actually they've quietly assembled the best squad that I've ever seen at Palace at that, at that club. There's a lot of quality there and you look at Batshuayi adds to it I've never seen a better centre-half pairing than Tomkins and Sacco. I know Sacco gets his detractors but they're top quality defenders. Wan Bissaka is an absolute revelation at right back and yeah, didn't brilliant. even play Saturday uh, and then you throw in Zaha and you Townsend's industry and Luka Milovievic is unsung as well. That was a better team. I think it was a better team in 1990-91. But squad-wise, this is this is by far and away better. Okay, all our yesterdays. We've got we got a couple of questions from the listeners and the viewers. I mentioned that Vernon Grant, who a couple of us know as a you know former journo of this parish and TV producer, he asks. What are the craziest in-match actions any of you have ever come across? I know of a player who got himself sent off early in a home game, left the stadium because he was having an affair with the wife of a teammate and he went back to her house, allegedly, my lad. That was later fictionalised in the manageress, apparently. Now, I don't think we'll match that. <laughs> in-match in dramas. The one, the one, the one that I had that that was very recent. I watched live, you know, uh, you know, in, in terms of Kepa and something similar was Abubakar Kamara for Fulham against Huddersfield, grabbing hold of the ball, not giving it to the nominated penalty taker Mitrovic, and, and taking the penalty, having it saved. Uh, funnily enough, uh, Mitrovic then scored the winner. Uh, but Ranieri, unlike Sarri, uh, the cup final yesterday, was very honest and said, "I wanted to kill him." Is what he came out <laughs> and said. But then he actually brought him back into the team, scored him the next game. And then we have a complete meltdown where he has a row with Mitrovic in a yoga session. <laughs> then he assaults a security guard allegedly at the training ground, is arrested and then loaned to Turkey. So it was quite an eventful month or so for tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose you know, the closest I could think of was, remember um, Tevez refusing to come on yeah. and buy a Munich. Anything else you can think of? I, I, so in terms of refusals, I've, I've seen, I mean, I don't know whether it counts as on pitch, but well, it was on pitch, but Drogba on the Ofrabo night... Chelsea was quite something. He just completely lost the plot and screaming into the television camera as the team's won. But, but I'm starting to wonder whether I'm becoming a bit desensitised to it all by discovering Chelsea for too long. <laughs> it's like bog standard, isn't it? Players refusing to come off. Right, so um, Stu asks, there are rumours from uh, those in the know, re-Man United, that they'll soon appoint 
a director of football. Do you think they will? And if so, who's the best choice? Now, Monchi, he's one of the sort of great, uh, venerable figures in that trade, thought to be going to Arsenal. Who would they appoint? Who should they appoint? Paul Mitchell's the name that's yeah. certainly been looked at. He did a good job at Spurs and then left slightly weirdly. He didn't fall out with Pochettino, though, so I always thought if Pochettino was going to go there, it would seem likely until the great Solskjaer loving. You know, um, I thought Mitchell and, and Pochettino was a very likely combination there. Whether Mitchell still goes there without Pochettino, it's possible. I think they, might, I think they probably will want somebody who will work quietly and efficiently behind the scenes knowing United. Um, I think Mitchell would fit that bill. He's at Leipzig at the moment. He's done a decent job. He's a very bright, very bright man. He's, he brought Deli Alley to Tottenham was very instrumental in that. So I think he'd be a, a candidate. Monchi will excite everyone on the internet. If you put his name on a link here, you'll get the best figures you've ever had. <laughs> Apparently, all the kids love Monchi, a bit of Monchi action. <laughs> so I'm not sure if anyone really knows you know, what these sporting directors really do. do, they, do they? Everyone has Here's to say Monchi's a genius. So you have to say that, really. You look at the amount of money that's been wasted by United and you can yeah. say they Chelsea need Chelsea. As well. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They both need sporting directors. Yeah. Ian Taylor asks this weekend has illustrated the fact that players have absolutely no respect for the club and fans. How can players not play for a manager because they don't like him or don't get on with him? Because they're egos. Uh, I, I agree with him. I think that it's probably more of a problem now than, it, than it's been in the past. But, for example, I mean, you go, came back to Chelsea again. That club has shown that the... And it's almost revelled in the reality that the... The identity of their coach is irrelevant, really, I and mean, they can chop and change in that respect and still be the most successful club trophy-wise over the last decade. And I think after a while, players will see that and think, well, the coaches are dispensable. I'm, I'm not. I'm a, I'm £71 million mm. player, so I've got the real power here, which is if you've got, the attitude. If you've got all that money, and, you know, we don't go on about too much about players earning obscene money, of course they're going to earn massive money, win so much money in the game from TV, etc. Of course, it's only natural. Don't begrudge them necessarily. But when you do earn that money, it's going, if you do that level of money and money's no object to you, it's going to affect your behaviour, isn't it? I mean, if you, if you don't like your boss, I know you love your boss, Don, because you always tell me. But, um, <laughs> Thanks, Dave. But, <laughs> but if, you, if you didn't, but you still have to pay the mortgage, you wouldn't be able to have a, you know, throw a tantrum and down tools, you know, would you? However much you might want to in your, in your, in your everyday life. When, when, if you haven't got that concern, then it's going to affect your behaviour, it's going to go to your head and you're going to get incidents like, like that on, on Sunday. Well, I know it's easy for me to say I don't have a bean invested in Chelsea, let alone a billion, but if I owned the club, Kepper wouldn't wear the shirt again. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.